Hello, welcome to Bible Marathon and it's dinner time. The word of God we believe is the best sustenance for the spirit, which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the word of God. So, join us at the table for word dinner. Let's jump into the book of Hebrews right now. Are we ready? And one thing, if, you're, if this is your first time, you want to grab a Bible, you want to grab a writing material because um, we're going to be discussing a number of things and you want to take note of those things. Let me pray again. Father, in the name of Jesus, let this session help us see your intent in the book of Hebrews. Help us understand and grasp what you are trying to say to us. Um, what you tried to say to them in their time so that we can apply it effectively to our own time today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Hebrews chapter 1 from verse 1. What I'm going to do first is read from chapter 1, verse 1 to verse 4, you know, in one reading, and then just start to explain some things to you. How many of you love the word of God? You just have to. It's beautiful. And, And I'm telling you that, you know, your mind is going to be blown with this book. So first of all, we see the word God. Let's read. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, who he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. You know, one of the things you must pick up immediately as you read this is that the writer of Hebrews says, God, at the very beginning, he just goes straight to God. What is unique about this book from a um, didactic standpoint or from a literary standpoint? It's it's a letter still. It's an epistle. But what do we notice in all the other epistles? How did they start? Philippians started with greeting. Exactly. Paul's greeting and the gospel. Exactly. So it starts with a greeting. So you see Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus to the saints at... Or in Ephesians, you know, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, called by God, blah, blah, blah. So most of the epistles, which just translates to letters, had an introduction. And in that introduction, Paul would say, Paul, an apostle of, right? And he would describe himself and what he's doing. Hi, Joshua, good to see you, right? And, And so you see that introduction, first of all. But here, we're not seeing any introduction. And that's because for the most part, um, the authorship of Hebrews has been debated. So there will be people who tell you, I know who wrote the book of Hebrews is Paul. So people tell you, I know it is Timothy. That one is even very absurd because Timothy is mentioned in the letter. So how is he the one writing it? Or you hear some people actually say um, the person who wrote Hebrews is Priscilla. I'm like, hmm. How is it Priscilla? Because in the text, there's a place where he refers to himself in the, in, not in the neuter gender, but in a masculine gender. So that, that cancels her out. Or some people will say it's Apollos because Paul and Apollos were known as great teachers. So yes, we don't know who wrote it. That's my point. There is no one who we can give this authorship to. And maybe next week I'll do, you know, some, if I have some time, I'll explain how we, how they agreed to keep Hebrews in the canon of scripture. I think, um, I think it was three books back that I actually did a deep teaching on how do you, how did we have the Bible that we have today? Because some people don't realize that it took a process of selection, right? Like the way, I hope you know that the Bible um, the 66 books in scripture 
that we have in the Protestant Bible are not the only books that were written. Uh, do we know that? That's common sense, right? Other people were writing. But why is it that we have 66 books? There's a, there's a process. There was a process to that. There was a synod where some people came together under the inspiration of the Spirit, I strongly believe, and made decisions based on some criteria. And those criteria still stand today. You can test them today and you'll be able to see. And I don't want to go into that amount, those, you know, those details right now. But Hebrews was actually one of the top of, yes, this is inspired. And as we read it, you're going to see why that was the case. All right. But one thing that you also need to see is that it starts with God. Meaning there is no, here there's no assumption. There's no, you know, question to the existence of God. And you may wonder why am I saying, saying this to begin with, you know, the existence of God could be debated. There could be many conversations around how, how do we know if God truly exists? And trust me, there are many arguments. There's a cosmological argument, teleological argument, moral argument. There are so many arguments about the existence of God. But the author writes this letter and starts with God, meaning there is no assumption there is God. He exists. And not only does he exist, he speaks. So look at this. The first thing you see is God who at sundry times or various times, that's what we have here in the NKJV, and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. So we see a speaking God. But how did he speak? Pay attention, guys. How did he speak? Two things mentioned here. Various times and various ways. The King James would say sundry times and diverse manners. So what he's saying here is this God has in this last day spoken to us clearly by his son, but in the past he spoke Various times, meaning there were chunk, when he says various times, he's talking about different dispensations and seasons. All right. And then he says various ways. Let me test us a little bit because this Bible study, God spoke to the, the fathers by the prophets in many ways. How? What are some of those many ways? Let's discuss together for a little bit. Let's think about some of the diverse ways. Okay, Victoria, go ahead. Okay, um, through visions, through miracles. Visions, yes. Miracles, yeah. parables, right? Joshua, go ahead. Yeah. Do you want to share? Burning bush. Burning bush, thank you. So that is a various way, meaning manner. In the, in the Greek, I don't want to go into too much of this, but there's polymerous and there's polytropos. Okay? So polymerous is just Greek for um, for sundry times or, or various times, different times. So it just means like portions, dispensations, right? But then the word polytropos, polytropos, let me spell the first one. Um, first one is polymerous. So P-O-L-U. M-E-R-O-S. That's when it says various times. That's what it means. But then various manners or various ways or different or diverse manners is polytropos. P-O-L-U-T-R-O-P-O-S. And this one has to do with, it's not just many ways. It means modes. So when it says God spoke, the first thing you're thinking is, audibly but the writer of hebrews here is actually saying god communicated in various modes so joshua was very right to say burning bush because that was one way god spoke to the fathers through the prophets do you see so when he says to the fathers by the prophets Two things are being inferred by the prophets. And I, I've, I've taught this before, but I just want you to see by the prophets, 
can be taken literally. Like, yes, Elijah, all of those people, right? God spoke to the fathers, David, Abraham, Isaac, all of those true prophets. Or it could be a reference to the books of the Bible that represents the prophets. Are we still together? So in other words, God spoke to the Israelites, the Hebrew people, by prophecy. So through the scriptures, if you read through it, you see many experiences of that, which is what um, Joshua referred to when he said the burning bush. What are some other examples of many ways, various manners that God spoke in the past? Think about Elijah through a still small voice, right? Think about Isaiah with a, with a big heavenly vision, Isaiah chapter six, heavenly vision. He saw everything. He saw the throne room of God and all of that, right? Um, think about Balaam or Balaam through his donkey, right? So God spoke through a donkey. That's a, that's a, a manner or a way God spoke. Angels, right? So God through, spoke through angels. So we, we, if you keep going in scriptures, you're going to see there are many ways that God spoke. For example, with Hosea, how many of you have read the book of Hosea? It's one of the most troubling books. <laughs> Very troubling. You're like, ah, God told this man to go and marry prostitutes. And in doing that, God wanted to use it to show how he was not going to be done with the Israelites, that he's still coming back for them, even when they cheat on him. So God used a guy's life. Just think about this. Just picture like God said, Joshua, I want to use you as a message to my people. So Joshua, you are going to go and kill somebody. I'm just joking. But, you know, but just God taking someone's life and using it as a model. That's God speaking. Are we together? Or, or Amos, through a basket of fruits. And you know, next year, by the way, I said something that was very exciting. We're going to study the Old Testament because it's one of those things that people just don't do, right? So I, I was like, let's take that challenge. Next year, we're going to read through the Old Testament together. So that's what most of our um, Bible marathon sessions would be about, right? Um, and then there are so many graphic examples through the scriptures that you, we could talk about, right? So, um, like I said, God spoke in many ways, in diverse manners and diverse times. So to Moses and to his people, right? And then you see the prophets, another chunk of time. And then he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us through his son. First thing you need to notice immediately is there's a contrast. Now, grammatically, you may not see it, but why is he making the point that God spoke in the past in this way? Now he's speaking this way. So there's a contrast, right? Do we see it? That the way he spoke in the past is different from how he's speaking now. That's it. So he's comparing that in the past, God spoke to the fathers. How? Many ways. How is he speaking to us now? One way. That 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 is very very important because that's what the whole of Hebrews is going to emphasize. That in the past he was using many methods in hidden formats with types, with shadows, with pictures, with types, with you know sometimes prophetic confrontation, other times dramatic presentation, you know some other times historic stories, another time is a song. You know, and you're like, what's going on in this Old Testament? Everything is just scattered. Different things are happening. You know, Jonah is in a whale. I what is this book. I hope you realize that if you grab the Bible and you read it, you know, just narratively, you're going to struggle to believe anything that happened there. And I'll tell you why. It was God's intention to do it that way. And we see that in the New Testament, that many of those things that happened in the Old Testament, right? They were supposed to prefigure something that will happen. And so how does God keep something in your mind that he wants to do? It has to be ridiculous. How many of you, if I tell you to go back to your, you know, three, when you were three-year-old, 
three years old or five years old? How many of you can remember what happened when you were very young? So I know some people that know what they were doing when they were three. That, that thing is mind blowing. Because the, the earliest memory I have is probably when I was five. Because at, at five, I was carrying my younger brother and there was a camera. I remember that. I don't know why, because I think it was a, it was a big flash. And that was the first time I was seeing that kind of flash. So it stuck in my mind and put this timestamp on that date in my life, right? If you've ever had a traumatic experience in your life, you probably remember it. Do you get it? Because it's, it's, it's extreme. Or if you've ever seen something dramatic or just out of the blues. For example, how many of you were alive when there was this, um, if you're in Lagos, Ikeja cantonment, there was, so there was a time when there was this explosion in the Ikeja barracks. And I remember what I was doing. I was, I was sitting down. I was watching Lion King. My glass fell. I can remember everything. I know that whole day because of how scary it was. And so that's what God is kind of doing. How does God help people know what he's planning to do? He has to, in the past, put some stamps that are hard to forget. So that's, that's an answer you might have for some people who think the Bible is ridiculous. If God wants to make a point, he will put something that is a timestamp in history. All right. So, but now God doesn't have to do so much of a timestamp for he is clear he, before he was doing it in types and shadows, in modes, in structures. Now he is very clear, very clear. He's not trying to hide things. He's trying to be very, very clear. And so he says in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And he's going to use imagery or words to describe this son that will help us see the contrast to how he spoke in the past. And this is where diligent Bible study comes in. Because you may not see it, but as you read it, you see the words he uses. So pay attention to some of the words he uses. So next he says, his son... By, by the way, let's echo who his son is. Whose son? Who is God's son? Jesus. Yeah. Thank you. Jesus Very good. Christ. Exactly. Because <laughs> let's be sure we're talking about the same person, right? So Jesus Christ, who he has appointed heir of all things. Now, this is a description of God's son. And, you know, prophetically, God is just trying to brag about his child. You know, how many of you have had that parent that maybe you, you won a prize on prize giving day and the parent is like, yes, that's my child. Or you do something good and they brag about you. You know, it, how much more Jesus, the son of God, you know, there's just that sense in which God wants to just sh- talk about him and show him forth, which is why when he was baptized, remember what happened? Of all the things that could happen, a dove descends, you know, and there's theologians that, differ on whether it was like a dove or a dove i don't i don't want to get into those details but something happened right something descended on jesus the heavens opened and a voice came out they heard a voice and god said this is my beloved son in whom i'm pleased it's like i'm bragging about i'm so proud of you that's kind of like what god was doing there and we see some of that here so there's so there are seven aspects of the boosting of god um, about his son here. So I want you to pay attention to them. I'm going to read it together again. All right. And this is just to help you with memory bites. So let's read. His son, whom he appointed heir of all things. So mark that word heir. What does heir mean? What, when, we see, when we say heir, what are we talking about? We're talking about someone who... Be very good. Inheritance to the throne. Yes, very good. So think about it as someone who receives an inheritance. He doesn't have it at a point, but then he receives it. Okay. Or 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 someone who acquires a portion that is allotted to him. That so so when he says he has appointed heir of all things, not just heir but of all things. So this son 
is going to have everything as his inheritance. That's big. It's not just an heir, but it's the heir of the world. Why is he the heir of the world? Because he's the son of God. Okay, yes. Yes, so he's heir because he's the son, right? Because the world belongs to him. (laughs) You're almost there, but read the next verse. It will give you some more insight why he can lay claim to the world as an heir. The next verse or the next line says what? Because he created the world. Aha, there we are. So the first thing that we see boasted about Christ is he's an heir. So write heir down, H-E-I-R. By the way, he's not heir for my Yoruba sisters and brothers. H is silent. So it's heir. All right. H-E-I-R. Heir of all things. I don't know. Sometimes it's very weird that the words that have H are silent. Then the words that have, it's so, you know, when I came to the US, someone said herb. I said, what's that? He said herb. I said, do you mean herb? They said it's herb. I'm like, I didn't know that. English, American English is messed up because I know it's herb. I still think it's herb. So I don't know why they call it herb. Anyway, let's come back to this. So it's air of all things. Why? Through whom also he made the world. So God created the world through Jesus Christ. So you must recognize that Jesus himself is the creator. Did God create the world? Yes. Did Jesus create the world? Yes. (laughs) And let me help you with this theologically. How is it possible that we have two creators? We don't have to think too much. So theologically, when God created the heavens and the earth, what did he do to create things? He spoke. Spoke, right? <laughs> he spoke. I remember when we say speak, you don't want to limit your understanding to, how can I do this? Let me help you get this. We're talking about God who is a spirit. The moment you think about God, you must realize that even just to help us understand him, he gives us some anthropologic, uh, anthropomorphic um, things. So we say things like God has breath or God speaks or God sees. What we are doing is we are, we're, we're assigning um, human things to a supreme being. And so we limit what we, are really attributing to God. Think about that for a moment. God sees, absolutely. But don't think God is limited by eyes. Do you get? Because you, you have eyes, you can't see the world. God can see the world. Everything, nothing is hidden from his face, right? The Bible teaches that. So in order to help us understand God's character, God's nature, we have to think of him from a humanistic standpoint. Are you still with me? So when he says God spoke, it, yes, it may mean he has a mouth, but don't limit that mouth. I'm saying this because of something I want to make very clear. When we say God created the, 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 the heaven and the earth, the heavens and the earth, and the Bible says, and God said, let there be light. The explanation of God said, let there be light. In 2 Corinthians 4.4 is different. I'm going to teach this as we proceed, all right? But just wanted to sh- I want to show you something. When it says, God said, let there be light. We start at John. John chapter 1 sounds like Genesis. He says, in the beginning, God created. John 1 1 says, in the beginning was the word. So John was trying to take us back to Genesis. So when you see in the beginning was the word, your mind should be thinking, ah, Genesis. And he's, he's very intentional because he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Guess what he says in a few verses after? Let me actually put this on the screen. What does he say? Talking about the word that was with God and that word, which is God. Verse three says, all things were what? Made through him. Who is him? The word. 
So you go back to Genesis where he said, let there be light and there was light. So anything that came about the word that was spoken was created first by God and by the word. So you can't separate both. Have I lost you? Okay, you're still here, right? I've lost you. Yes. Okay, all right. Let Let me go back. Do you understand the correlation between Genesis and John? Look at this. Yes. Let's start with this. So in John, uh, in Genesis, sorry. Genesis, where's my, is he hanging? Okay. Genesis 1, 1. Look at the screen. In the beginning was, eh? that's not autism. It will. Something is wrong. Sorry. Yeah, it's easy worship. It does that sometimes. Okay, let's let's try and trigger its memory. Okay, well, good now. <laughs> so Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then he goes on and says, the earth was without form and void. And then God said, let there be light. Right? And there was light. And God saw the light that was good and all of that. So you remember Genesis 1, 1 to 4. God spoke and things started to exist. So if you want to summarize Genesis 1, what would you say? God created the world. Agreed? Then we go yes. to John chapter 1. And we read the same, not the exact same thing, but it's as if he's trying to point our attention to Genesis. So look at what he says. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's trying to introduce someone who is called the word. At this point, we don't know who it is. But the only correlation here is the the phrase in the beginning, which was what he said in Genesis. So Genesis says in the beginning. John says in the beginning. So our mind should be thinking creation. So what does he say about this word? He says in the beginning, right when creation happened, there was an entity called the word. And that word was with God in the beginning. Are you following? So this word was with God in the beginning. It did not have a beginning. It was with God at the beginning. And then it says, and the word was God. Meaning that same word, which was with God at the beginning is also God. So this thing called the word or this entity called the word is is God. Do you get it so far? Then he tells us, Who made the world? It was this word that was in the beginning with God that all things were made through him. So my point, here's my theory, but here's here's my point. When God was creating the heavens and the earth, the word was with him there. Do we agree? Question, what is this word we are talking about? John tells us who the word is in verse 14. He says, and the word, remember that's still the word we're still trying to define. He says that word became flesh. So whoever this word was, was not flesh to begin with. He existed from the beginning. Before there was ever, let there be light, he was there. And the word became flesh. So this word took on a human form. And lived with people. And he said that we beheld his glory. So this is talking about Jesus. So here's my point. Jesus created the world. And that's not a contradictory statement from God created the world. Because God spoke the word that created the world. That lose you again. <laughs> yes. Ah, okay. But do you, what do you I get? I have a question. Based on this, I have a question. Wait, let so me be, let me finish. Let me finish with Pearl first. Sorry, I want, I want to make okay. sure. She, yeah. So Pearl, what what part is unclear? Do you let me let me ask you a few questions? Okay. Do you know? Do you do you agree that God created the world? Yes. Okay. By word, do you mean word or world? Oh, God created the world. Okay. Means, yes. Yes. How did God create the world? By speaking. 
what did he speak? The word, right? Yes. Okay, so did the word create the world? Did what? The word. Yes. Did it create yes, the yes. world? Good. Yes. We're on the same page. That's all I've been explaining. That all God, right. by the agency of the word, created the world. And that word became a human being in history. All right. The word God spoke at the beginning, which was with him from the very beginning before time began, <laughs> was the one that created the world that we see today. And then we were, we were introduced to the word of God being Jesus himself. Do you get it now? Die freeze. Okay. If you can let it simmer, don't worry. Just let it simmer. It made, uh, she, she's disconnected. But I hope we're all together there. I hope we get the point. And I'm, the reason I'm even breaking it down like this is because when we come back to Hebrews, you understand what these words actually mean. When he says in verse three, he says, first of all, he says in verse two, he has appointed him heir of all things. And he says, who, whom, through whom he made the worlds. So it was through this same Jesus, his son, that he created all things. How? By speaking words at the beginning. But that word he spoke is who we know to be Christ today or Jesus today. And, and this, in a sense, addresses questions about the, the Trinity. Maybe not the most accurate um, defense for the Trinity, but it's just to teach you that Jesus is not an afterthought of God or a creation of God, as most people want to think. Jesus was, first of all, the word, the eternal word of God that had no beginning with God from the beginning. So we're talking about one and the same essence. But then in history, he becomes a human who we know as Jesus. He was not always Jesus. He was always the word, but he was not always Jesus. All right. Daphne, I see your hand up. Okay. I'm glad you went to the Trinity because based on my understanding of what you've said, mm -hmm. I never saw John 1.1 1, 1 in relation to Genesis. I don't know why, but based on my understanding of what you said, that means... God spoke the word, mm -hmm. who is Jesus. So who became Jesus, basically. So now my question is, if the word, who is Jesus, was also in the beginning with God, the Father. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that means to say that the spirit was also there. In Genesis 1, exactly. In verse 3, okay. right? So all, all three were there. At the creation. So you can you can rightly say biblically, God created the world, Jesus created the world, Holy Spirit created the world, and there are okay. texts that back up all of that. That's why we we claim God is okay and God is one. So the part that says the spirit moved over the deep was another part of God that was yes. Sorry, yes. no, we won't use the word part of God, but I but I get you. That's exactly God. I, okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. And you see why a lot of people will struggle with the doctrine of the Trinity, and even though that's not the conversation today, is because most people are limited by this brain right here, this thing that is in between our eyes. This, this thing is the brain. Guess what? It's a creation of God. <laughs> so it is also limited. So we tend to see God in ways that, how many of you have closed your eyes and you've ever imagined God as a person? Why? That's, it's natural for us to do that, right? Because all we have dealt with are humans. And that's why it also flows into relationships. People, when we say God is a loving father, when you close your eyes and you want to imagine God, the only thing you have many times is a male human, right? That's what your mind will create. But, but God is beyond his creation. So when we say God is one and God is three, it may sound confusing, just accept it by faith, right? Because the God who is describing this possibility to you 
is outside of the limitations of our possibilities. The moment you can define God and, and investigate him under a microscope, he's no longer God. Like he has to be bigger than what your mind can fathom, right? The reason we say the Trinity is true is not because we just wanted to make it up. We've seen too many things in the scripture. Like, okay, first of all, God created the world, but Jesus also created the world. And the only person who is able to create the world is God. So Jesus has to be God. But then at the very beginning, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters, the face of the deep. So this one was there at the beginning when nothing existed. So it has to be God. Do you get? So when you now see all of that and you go through scripture, you just start seeing, okay, there is this person, the, the father, there is this person called the son who became the son, was first of all the word, but became the son in Jesus. And then you see the Holy Spirit, who was always the spirit that proceeded from the father. But now it's the Holy Spirit that lives in us. You just see that for all through scripture, the father, the son, the Holy Spirit everywhere. So that's why we came up with the term Trinity, meaning it's one God, though we don't serve multiple gods, one God, but he has consistently revealed himself in these three unique persons. And that's all we have. That's the limit of our brain. And so what do we do? We worship God the Father through the Son by the Spirit. We just do it like that. And that's how we align with Scripture. So I know that was a detour we didn't really need to take, but I hope it helped someone. Um, the things of God are beyond many literal explanations. But yeah, we will still try to understand and explain God because he gives us what we can know about him. So let's exhaust that, right? Um, I want us to go further. I will address, I'll pick your question more. Let me just um, conclude this one. So first thing is his heir. Next thing is he created the world. So creator, we're finding a definition for this, this son. Creator. Next verse says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. So here we're seeing Jesus being described as the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person. So what does this really mean? Who was here when I taught about the fact that God is invisible? God is invisible. That's, you even sang, you sung it before. Immortal God, hey, invisible God. That's very dense theology but you probably haven't thought about it that way. Do you realize that God is invisible? And just to show you that <laughs> I'm not making this up, look at some text and maybe we'll pause here and continue tomorrow, <laughs> no, next week, sorry, next week, Friday. But I want to make this point clear that Jesus is the brightness of God's glory and the express image of his person. Express image means declaration, visible representation of an invisible God. And look at this, look at this. This is John, John 3, 13. Uh, or let's do John 1, 18 first. Look at this text. He says, <laughs> a lot of thoughts are going through my mind. Don't worry, I'll have some extra time after Bible study. We'll discuss them. But that's good. Thinking is good. John 1, 18, no one has seen God at any time. Jesus is the one making this statement. He says, the only begotten son, talking about himself, who is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. So he has declared him. What does that mean? He has shown him. No one has seen him. Now we can see him. Why? Because Jesus has declared him. How did Jesus declare him? By coming in the flesh. Exactly. So think about it. God is invisible. No one has seen him at any time. Now God wants to make himself visible. What does he do? He comes as yeah. a Exactly, because God is spirit. So God is in the realm of, is a realm that is not, that we cannot descend physically. 
I hope you know when we say God is spirit, it means that everything that can be known about God must be known spiritually. That's why a lot of people struggle with the, the truth of the existence of God. Because they'll say, if God is true, oh yeah, he should come now, he should appear now, he should. And it's like, yeah, he has. Like he actually has. He wanted you to know that he's real. And so he came in human form. But but people don't, they're not, they're not okay with that because they want signs. We're going to see more of that later on, right? But but think about this. And I think this is one thing I want to just make very clear. Jesus is the express image of the invisible God. God who had not been seen. In fact, let me shock you with this text. I've used this so many times, but it never gets old. First Timothy 3.16. First Timothy 3.16. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Meaning, great is the mystery of God. This word godliness might be misleading. It's talking about the fact that God, everything that's to do with God is a mystery. It says great. And then he tries to explain that mystery. So tell me if you can see the mystery he's trying to describe. First one, God was manifested in the flesh. Manifested means what? To be shown visibly. Right? Are we still together? All right. So God was manifested in the flesh. So we can see him. Justified in the spirit, meaning um, proved to be true. And there's a lot I can teach about that. Thank you. Romans chapter one from verse four says that according to the spirit of holiness, he was declared to be the son of God with power. So God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, meaning in the spirit, he's proven to be who God. But then look at the next one, seen by angels. You could probably read past this and not get the point that even to the angels at some point in time, God was invisible. Now he can be seen by angels. It's a great mystery. No wonder they were rejoicing. Exactly. So when they hear a son is born, the innumerable company of angels in the sky, they say, ah, hey, so it's that's in your language. So they were shouting, they were rejoicing, right? Finally, we see him. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. But look at, how do I know this is true? Because you may say, ah, Pastor Ernest, you are reaching. Like, scene of angels just means they saw him. Doesn't mean they didn't see him before. Ah, let me show you. <laughs> let me show you. So look at First Timothy 6.16. Describing God. He says, who alone, God, has immortality, dwelling where? In unapproachable lights. So when you think of God, God is in a realm that cannot be seen. It's too bright. It's like looking at the sun. Notice what it says. Who no man has seen or can see. And you may just think it's same man here. But he's talking about anyone, any entity, anyone. If you look at the Greek. You can open that up too. So he's basically saying he, he alone has immortality, meaning he's eternal. Not only is he eternal, he's invisible. Why? Because he dwells in unapproachable light and no one has seen. So now the God who has not been seen, who is in, who's dwelling in unapproachable light, has now been seen and declared to us how? By his son. That's why Hebrews would now tell us who you see why it's good to know the scriptures because everything is connected. He says, Who being the brightness of his glory? So that bright glory of God, Jesus is the brightness of the glory of God. And then he's the express image of his person. He's describing two aspects of God here his glory that cannot be discerned, that is so great. And so Jesus is not less glorious than the Father. He's the brightness of the glory, then he's the express image of his person. So express means clearly seen, displayed. Look at how it's, it's phrased in the, um, you know, in the HCSB. Because talking about the, the fact that Jesus is exactly all that God is, like exactly in the same sense of essence. He says, he is the radiance of his glory 
and the exact expression of his nature. So if you ever wanted to know God, Jesus is who to know. Because if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Remember Jesus said that. If you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. It, that's the point. That was what God wanted to do. In the past, he was speaking in many forms, in many times, different, different ways. But now he has spoken clearly through his son, who is, in fact, the one who created everything, the heir of all things. He owns all things. He's the brightness of the image of God. And he is the express image of his person. And then as we round off here, we're stopping very shortly. I just want to finish this verse. He says, and he sustains all things by his powerful word. So you've written air, you've written creator. I hope you, oh, I didn't mention the third one. He's also the revealer. So he reveals who God is, his nature. So revealer. And then he says, who sustains all things by his powerful word. So all things are sustained and stay in existence by that very word of God. So he's the sustainer. What else about Jesus do we see? After making purification for sins, what is purification for sins? That is redemption. So he's a redeemer, right? So you can write redeemer down. And he says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he's a ruler. He's a ruler. And then the final one is that he is the greatest or greater, just so it can rhyme. <laughs> He's greater. And what does that mean? He says, so he became higher in rank than the angels. Let's come back to the King James. Having become so much better than the angels. And next week, we're going to explain this in more detail because you'll get on that. Next week, my plan is to really help you see what Hebrews is about. Today is just to introduce the book and introduce the, the, the thought process from the beginning. Having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance, remember he's an heir, he has obtained a more excellent name than they. So he has obtained a more excellent name than the angels. And we're going to see why is Jesus being compared with the angels next week. We're also going to understand next week the whole point of Hebrews. In fact, maybe I should do that real quick. Simple statement, all right? We're, and this is the last thing I'll say and um, I'll take questions. The purpose of the book of Hebrews can be seen in the name of the book. So who is it written to? Remember, we always do this with every book. We can't do who wrote it because we just, we just acknowledged nobody, uh, there's no authorship I, I, you know, attributed to anyone. We know that it was written by someone inspired for sure, but we don't know if it's Paul. We don't know. So we can't answer that question, but we can answer the question to whom was it written? Yeah. Who was it written to? It was written to people who had strong command, um, who had um, strong command of the Old Testament, that they really understood the Old yeah. Testament. Someone said Jehovah Witness. Is that a joke? I'm joking. Oh, uh, uh, no. So, but yeah. So, Victoria, who are those people? Who has strong command? Jews. Oh, the they Jews. are Jews. Yeah, Jews. Jews. yeah. Hebrew men. That's Hebrews. the name of Christ. Hebrews. Yeah. So, if you, if you have a Bible that puts that full thing, you know, when we say Philippians, it's not just Philippians. It's Paul's letter to the Philippians, right? That's how it is, the full name. Or when you see Matthew, it's not Matthew, it's the gospel according to St. Matthew. So what is the full form of Hebrews? Who has a Bible that shows the full, um, this thing? You see epistle written to the Hebrews or something similar to that. All right. So it was written to Jews, Hebrew people. And just like Victoria said, these people are Hebrews, meaning they know the law. They, they perform the practices. They are real Israelites. So it was written to Christians who had a Hebrew or Jewish background, all right? And at this point, it was getting clear that if you're going to be a Christian, you're definitely going to start deviating from the practices and the rituals of the Jews. So what was, what was Hebrews written? We're going to see it more. 
but it was written to strengthen their conviction. Imagine someone who has been doing something a certain way. You've been killing rams, eating the Passover, celebrating some specific uh, Jewish feasts, and then you meet, you find out in Christ, Christ is our Passover. Christ is the lamb. Um, you know, everything that you've been doing in the Old Testament, according to the law, now there's no more requirement to do those things. Circumcision was a thing. Now you are circumcised by the Spirit. Do you get? So it's like, what do you tell someone who has all their lives lived? It's just like many of you who had to travel to another country. When you were in your country, there were some things you were used to. When you traveled, there were a lot of things that you started dropping. And then in Nigeria, they were like, look at you. You have now become an American. <laughs> you know? So imagine that kind of switch. Someone who was a Jew now becomes a Christian. And in Christ, they're telling you, oh, these things have been fulfilled. There is a tendency for such people to want to go back. Are we together? And so that's why the book of Hebrews was written to tell them, don't go back. Oh, there's nothing back. Oh, there's nothing there. Christ has made a way. He's greater than all the things you can compare him with in the Old Testament. And that's the point of Hebrews. So as we read through this, um, you know, in subsequent sessions, I hope it will just become clearer that Christ is greater than all. And for us, it's so instructive because it helps us also strengthen our convictions that Christ is truly the only way. All right. So I just wanted to end with that. So you kind of have an idea what where we're going with this book. There's going to be a lot of comparisons between Jesus and everything else and why he is greater than those things. All right. So thank you, Father. Thank you for a session in your word. Thank you for this introduction. We pray even as we continue, you'll keep unveiling your truth like never before to us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right. So, yeah, we're, we're done. I want to list the seven, seven things specifically to um, describe about Jesus here, almost seeming like the boasting of the God himself. So Jesus as the heir, Jesus as the creator, Jesus as the revealer, Jesus as the sustainer, Jesus as redeemer, Jesus as the ruler, and finally, as the one who is greater. All right, so I hope. That was an awesome meal. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word of God. If you would like to join the actual Word Dinner sessions live on Fridays, you can visit the link page. It's always on Fridays, 9 p.m. West African time. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and see you when next it's dinner time.